Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series called Imago Day, where we're learning to see the image of God in everyone, everywhere. Thanks for joining us today. came interested the day I put one brick down because our neighbors were setting up lawn chairs next door watching wondering what in the world I was doing, what I was building and why. So what we're doing here with Wrigley South is just because we're big Cub fans. It's obvious we love the Cubs and that's our base to create the community here and have people over. But we've we've gone from having maybe ten or fifteen people over here where we're just providing food for everybody. Um, an enjoyable evening to um, one or two people over here where we're able to find out some more in-depth information on what's going on in their lives. You know, what, what, what do you care about? What, you know, and we find out that we just, we're a lot alike in a lot of ways. Everybody has needs. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody is searching for something. It's just been very humbling to see the amount of people that we have had come here and their, their lives that they have and that they, they want to be here and, and talk with us. It's been a stretch for me. I wish it wasn't. That's just how my personality is. And so I'm not necessarily the first person to walk across my yard and talk to a neighbor, but I'm actually seeing people because I'm slowing down more and um, talking to them and hearing their stories. And so it humanizes people when you can actually get to know them. It, it's been kind of neat because I really feel now we have all become a small family in these two block areas here that we live in and that we care about each other now. We, we're concerned about each other and and it's a whole giving of love thing. It's, it's, it goes both ways. We're, we're like we've been part of a family for a long time, but it's just been recent through everything we've put on back here. So. And I would say I wouldn't have put language to that initially as far as seeing the image of God in everyone everywhere. But now that there's language to be able to put to that, that really is what it is. That really is the connecting point for me, is to be able to um, see that God created every single one of these people in His image that we're inviting over, and I am just seeing them for who they are, and they're no different than I am. I just love that story. I love Sue and Greg using that as an opportunity to practice what we're going to be talking about today as we continue this series. Uh, in case you missed it last week, we celebrated what we call Vision Sunday, which is where we take a year, or excuse me, we take a Sunday every year just to remind ourselves of the vision that God has given us and how we want to fulfill the mission as a church, which is to grow disciples who make disciples. And then we kind of zeroed in, if you missed it last week, into this whole idea of what does it 
it mean for us to do life together with our community and our world, specifically our core value of relating rightly? How do we relate with the world around us today in a way that is humble and loving and authentic? And we've been talking about going back to the very beginning of creation when God created every human being in his image, and therefore every human being has value and dignity. In fact, if you're following on your notes in this series, we're learning to see everyone everywhere created in the image of God. That's what we're doing for four weeks together. Now, my challenge to us last Sunday was instead of putting people into categories, which we do sometimes even subconsciously, right? They're that kind of person. They're that kind of person to remind ourselves throughout the week that every person I see, every person I talk to, every post I see online, everyone I interact with is created in the image of God and therefore they deserve value and dignity from me. So let me just ask you right up, how did that go for you last week? Were you able to consciously see people in a different way as you went about your day, seeing them in God's image? I got a couple emails from some people who said, Steve, I I agree with everything you're saying. I believe this is true. Can you please help me, though, get it from my head to my heart and then out into my life? And this is really where we're headed for these next three weeks. We want to get practical with how we can see everyone everywhere in the image of God. I want to be straight up honest with you right now. The idea for these three weeks came from a book written by a pastor named John Tyson called Beautiful Resistance. This is a book we read this summer in the book club I lead for our church. And the whole idea of this book, just beautiful resistance. How do we as the church in this hostile culture today resist against that? Not in the same way, but in a different way, in a beautiful way. How do we stop this us versus them reality as Christians where the world is saying you're either in or you're out, or you're a part of this group or you're not a part of this group. You're a part of that group where we just put people into these categories of hate and division. You're either this or you're either that. We've lost the ability to have conversations. There's no middle anymore. There's no nuance anymore. It is just this or that, or if you're following on your notes, I'll put it this way. We live in a culture of hostility that I believe is based on fear mostly, specifically fear of the other. And I put other in quotes, right? The other, they're out there. They're the bad people. They're going to get us. This categorizing of people as the other has had a profound impact on our ability to relate rightly to relate to people around us in humility and love and authenticity. In fact, I believe it changes our desire for gospel connection with others into isolation and into fear. So what if we, as the followers of Jesus today, were to act more like Jesus and reach out to people who are different from us instead of isolating or labeling them? What if we were to reach out like the Coopers did in that video with the spirit of hospitality to the neighbors in their neighborhood? What if we got to know people and let them get to know us instead of separating ourselves from people today? Listen, it's not going to erase all the differences. We're not going to lose our convictions about what is right and wrong, but it is possible that we as God's people could cancel the fear culture that we see all around us. And even more, it might help us create some less divisions and isolations in the world today. So today we're heading into one of three practical ways we can do this. If you're following on your notes, instead of hostility, 
What if God calls us to choose hospitality over fear? This is the first step of seeing everyone everywhere in the image of God, choosing hospitality over fear. So here's where we're headed today. The first thing I just want to do with us is get a clear understanding of what hospitality really means in the Bible. Secondly, I want to talk about how big of a theme this is in the Bible. In fact, even now, if you brought your Bible with you or your device, I encourage you to turn it to Leviticus chapter 19, starting in verse 33. How many times do I get to say, turn your Bible to Leviticus? But today we're doing it. And then last but not least, I hope to offer at least a few practical ways we can begin to practice hospitality over fear as God's people. So first up, what actually is hospitality? Some of you know I grew up in the church. My dad was what was called an interim pastor, which was basically he would go to a church until they found a full-time pastor. So a lot of my early memories was going from one church after the other in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And not only did none of those churches have student programs, I had to endure a service and every single Sunday, we were invited over to somebody's home to have lunch with them. Miserable as an elementary student, right? Having dinner from some German old lady who's making food I want nothing to do with and then having to sit at a table for an hour and talk. Is that hospitality? Yeah, sort of. We also have a hospitality team here at our church. We believe in this. We want to be people who are welcoming. We have a, a golf cart. We have a connect center. We have greeters at the door. All of this is important, and it's a part of hospitality. But what I want you to understand today, hospitality in the Bible is something much deeper than that. In fact, the word hospitality comes from this Greek word, xenos. It's two words compounded together. The word philo simply means love. It's a brotherly love. It's where we get the idea of Philadelphia today, right? The city of brotherly love. But then check this out. Xenos is the word for foreigner or stranger. And so when you put those two together, here's what the Bible means when it's talking about hospitality. If you're on your notes, hospitality means a love for the stranger. We show hospitality to the people we know. The Bible's talking about it to show it to people we don't know. Interestingly enough, the word we get in English from hospital is the same root word here. Hospital used to mean a home for strangers. Today, it means a place of healing. But just think about this. There's a link between, wel between being welcomed and between being healed. What if our churches were places like that? Two other things I want you to just notice about biblical hospitality before we move on. Biblical, biblical hospitality may be risky and costly. If you're on your notes, maybe risky and costly. And I want to say that doesn't just mean costly money-wise, although that certainly could be a part of it. What I'm talking about here is when we truly try to break the other myth and we reach out to people who aren't like us or part of the group we're a part of, it can be risky at times. We can be shunned or ridiculed or we can be kicked out of the group that we try so hard to be a part of. Second, biblical hospitality doesn't seek reciprocation. I'm so glad I said that correctly. In other words, we don't do it for what we can get. Jesus was clear about this in Luke chapter 14. Jesus said to his host, he was eating a lunch, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. And so you will be repaid. 
But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus is pushing us to see hospitality beyond those we just know. It's for strangers, for those we don't know. It's a spiritual initiative that we're to take as his followers to break the barriers we've created with the, quote, others. And friends, this kind of hospitality is everywhere in the Bible. This isn't just some one-off Sunday or some one-off idea. This is everywhere. In fact, it's rooted, first of all, in the Old Testament. Perhaps the clearest text about this is Leviticus 19, 33 and 34. I had you open there. Let's look at that together. It says, when a foreigner resides among you or in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt— I am the Lord, your God. Now, this is really important to notice here. What is the motivation at the end of that command that God gives them? He says, I am the Lord, your God. Now, if you were a Jewish person reading that, that would automatically have taken you back to the first of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, where we read, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And so what is God trying to connect for them here? Just like I treated you, you who had no home, you who were foreigners and strangers, I want you to treat others the same way I treated you when you were in that state. You had no home, but I made a home for you. So for the people of God in the Old Testament, again, if you're on your notes, hospitality was a duty because of God's hospitality to Israel. Listen, just like I did for you, Don't forget to do that to others. And so for the Old Testament, this idea of hospitality, you can find it all over the place. Regularly, God says, I want you to remember your otherness, that you were strangers to this land. I want you to remember your time in Egypt as slaves and foreigners. I want you to remember your wilderness wanderings when you were migrants without a home, when you were nomads. And when you remember that, I want you to remember to have compassion on those because those, the, those who you are at one time. Do not mistreat the oppressor or the foreigner, Exodus 22. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. Take care of them. Love them as yourself, for you too were foreigners in Egypt. Again, I could quote again and again and again. It went even beyond just the way you treated them. It had economic impact. For the Israelites as well, if you still have your Bible open to Leviticus 19, look back up at verse 9 and 10. This is a command God gives them. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. What? Leave them for the poor and who? The foreigner, the stranger. And then what? I am the Lord your God. I want you to overcome your fear of not having enough, your prejudices of those who are coming into the land and show hospitality to them instead because that's the way I treated you. This is the, such a big deal in the Old Testament. It was considered a grievous sin if a stranger came into your town square and nobody in the town went to greet them and welcome them to stay at their house. This was like high-level important stuff in the Old Testament, but it continues in the New Testament. 
We have several direct passages in the Bible that tell us to practice hospitality. For example, Paul writes in Romans 12, 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Now, cool thing about that word practice, that's an ongoing action. So it's not like, cool, I'll invite somebody out to lunch after church today. Check. Or I'll get up when the pastor says I have to and hand bump somebody during the greeting time. I'm practicing hospitality. It's an ongoing action and attitude that we are to have. Paul actually says this is one of the characteristics that an elder of a church must have, hospitality. So it's not just a one-time invitation if you're falling on your notes. Hospitality is to be an ongoing attitude and action toward others. Let's talk about that attitude. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 4, 9. He says, offer hospitality to one another, what? Without, oh, that's tough. Because people are hard. But don't do it with grumbling. Do it from a heart of love, a heart of desire, a heart to show God's hospitality to another person. I love what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13.2. Can we read it out loud together on our notes there? It says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. In other words, don't forget about this. Don't forget about this, because you never know when you practice this kind of hospitality to strangers, you may actually be hosting an angel. We go, I don't know about that. There's three times that actually happens in the Old Testament. One of those times is Abraham himself, no idea, practicing hospitality to these three strange men, and he finds out they're angels sent by God. This is a big deal. So big, in fact, I think the greatest example of hospitality that comes home to us is found in Ephesians chapter 2, 11 and 12. Could I have you turn there, uh, if you don't mind? You can find that on page 947 in the Black Bibles, if that's the ones you're using. It's in the New Testament there. If you can't get there on time, I have it up on the screen as well, so you can follow along there. But look at what verse 11 and 12 say in Ephesians 2. Therefore, remember that formerly you, were, you are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Now, just pause here. What is a Gentile? Anybody who is not Jewish? How many Gentiles we got in the room here? Pretty much all of us, I'm guessing. Okay. Remember that at that time you were, listen, separate from Christ. If you're a Gentile, Gentiles, separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promises without hope, without God in the world. That's us. That's you. That's me. Without hope, not citizens. But then look what God does in the greatest act of hospitality. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of of Christ. That's the gospel. The welcoming of strangers. And the result of this is found in verse 19. Can we read this together out loud on our notes there? Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Wow. We often forget this, I think. The longer I grow up in the church, the more I think I'm the insider. But should we always remember that, how many Gentiles in here? All of us, that at one time we were strangers without hope, 
without a home in this world. But thanks be to Jesus and the greatest act of hospitality ever. He laid down his life for us so that we could be welcomed. If you're following, let us never forget that in the story of redemption, we are the strangers. We're the outsiders. We're the other. That God extended hospitality to us in the most amazing way imaginable. I was born in Canada, Vancouver, Canada. I was a Canadian citizen until 2012 when I stood at the old state capitol. Here's a picture of the moment this happened, and I became a citizen of the United States. This is what God does for us who are Gentiles. He takes immigrants and strangers and foreigners, and he says, come home. I will make you a citizen of heaven. And so listen, no wonder hospitality is such a big deal to God. I want you to extend the same kind of love to the strangers that I extended to you. But even beyond all that, there is no place in recorded history of humanity that we see such radical hospitality like we do in the life of Jesus himself. And it's his life we're to model if we want to be his disciples. New Testament scholar Joshua Jipp said, the entire ministry of Jesus is appropriately captured in the phrase divine hospitality to the stranger and sinner. That's like what he did. Jesus' ministry was God's rescuing love put on full display. If you're following, Jesus' posture was one of inclusion and welcome. God becoming flesh, not just to dwell among us, but to welcome us into his home. Again, I think I can get so used to reading the Gospels, but it's just remember how radical Jesus was in his time. People did not like his hospitality. Think about his disciples. He had a nationalist zealot as one of them. He had former Pharisees. He had a tax collector. <laughs> Nobody liked them. And yet somehow, some way, he's able to bring all these people together to create a new community. The Pharisees, Brian's going to talk about this next week, used to used to use boundary markers to exclude people, dehumanize people. Do you know what Pharisees called Gentiles? Dogs. That's who we are in their eyes. But Jesus tears all of those boundary markers down. He replaces this with a radical welcoming spirit that still reverberates in the world today. To quote John Tyson, unlike our culture's hospitality, which is extended to those like us and withheld from those who differ, Jesus' hospitality was scandalously unconditional. Conditional hospitality crystallizes borders. Unconditional hospitality deconstructs them. He continues talking about what this means for us today. Jesus was able to model what our culture is craving Spaces of welcome where strangers, enemies, outsiders, and others can become our friends. Jesus created pockets of hospitality in a culture of fear that formed a new kind of community in the world, something he called the church. And friends, here's just what I want to say. Jesus' dream for the church, if you're on your notes, isn't that we are an escape from the world, but that we're a place of hope and welcome. We're not here to be a club. We're not here to be insiders. We're here to be a place of welcome and healing to those who aren't yet known by God. And to do that, we choose hospitality over fear. So how do we do this practically in our lives? I'm not going to lie to you. I told Brian this too. I struggled with getting practical on this, but here's what I've got for us this morning. Number one, focus on similarities instead of differences. 
Oh, man, don't we live in a world that wants to divide us? Everywhere we look, we're focusing so much on the differences. I had a guy come up after the service last time. He said, for all the two differences we may have, we have 10,000 similarities. And yet we focus on those two differences. Instead, we are hyper-emphasizing our differences today. And it's creating this conflict and hostility. Jesus had this remarkable ability to draw people from the most culturally incompatible backgrounds into this new community. How? He saw them for who they were, not what they believed, not the sins they were committing. He saw them as people that the Father loved. He didn't try to change them before he knew them. That's how we get past our differences. We get to know people before we judge people. Jesus saw every person as a person in need of compassion and mercy and welcome. Who doesn't still need that today? I do. So let's stop trying to believe these cultural narratives we're being thrown at all the time of this hostility and consider hospitality instead. There's a guy in our high school. I did not like him. He was very weird. And then I heard his story. He was abused by his parents. So no wonder he was like that. I want to focus on people's similarities, not their differences, because I don't know everybody's story. Number two, engage people with personal connection. I think people today are exhausted from trying to have to perform, put on masks, try to be something we're not, try to get more likes on Instagram. What if we engaged people with personal connection? I'm talking about what we used to do in the old days. Like eye contact. Our son's in here right now. We tell him all the time, right? Look him in the eye. Look him in the eye. Smiling. Conversations. Not just texting. Not just saying something on that social media feed. Actual conversations with another people. And here's the biggest one of all. What if we started to learn how to ask questions again? I'm serious. People love talking about themselves, right? So what if we learned how to engage people by asking questions about them, genuinely wanting to know them more for who they are? Jesus asked way more questions than he ever gave any answers. Let's follow his example and engage people on a personal level today. Number three, use your home as a bridge of invitation. Your apartment, your home, whatever. You don't have to build Cubs Stadium, Wrigley Field South to do this, by the way. Although that was an awesome idea. Many of Jesus' most hospitable moments come in people's homes sharing a meal. What if we used his example the same way? In fact, I love how Tim Chester puts this. If you were to trace the hospitality of Jesus through a gospel, you would find that hospitality wasn't one of Jesus' strategies. It was his strategy. Luke's gospel is full of stories of Jesus eating with people in homes. I actually put this on the back of your notes there if you want to reference this because I thought it was so cool. Like, Jesus apparently really liked to eat. He was actually accused of being a glutton at one point, but I think Jesus understood there's power of sitting around a table with others and sharing a meal. Some of the walls break down. Now, I know this is harder in our day and age with COVID right now, but let me give you an idea. What if instead of being in your fenced-in backyard, you were on your porch in the front yard? 
What if you're on your driveway instead of watching TV in your TV room? I need to hear this. I need to be reminded of this. What if we are just more open to engaging with the neighbors God puts into our lives during this time? And then fourth, pay attention to those going unnoticed or who are new. Going to school next week? Anybody? Monday, tomorrow, going to school? How about work? Anybody going to work in here? Anybody go to the gym? Anybody go into your neighborhood? What if we just started paying attention to the people nobody else is paying attention to? They're there. They're lonely. They're sad. What if we started to practice hospitality and actually see them? Just take some time. Stop. Stop and look around and say, huh, they have nowhere to sit during lunch. Maybe I should invite them to sit with us. Could be risky. Could be costly. But what about that person at work who nobody ever goes to talk to? What if you just ask them, how'd your weekend go? What, what did you guys do? What did you do? Look for people who others don't look for that aren't in your group. If somebody's new, be the first person to welcome them. Somebody moves into your neighborhood, go say hi to them. Introduce yourselves. These are just small ways that we can show hospitality instead of giving in to the fear that tells us, don't do it. You're going to embarrass yourself. They're not going to like you. We want to do this even in our church when we gather, right? How many of us have our sections that we sit in now? We were just joking about this over here. That's my section. That's where I sit. Next week, sit somewhere else. You can do it. And you might meet somebody who you've never met before, and you can welcome them and extend hospitality to them. Friends, there's other ways we can do this. Serving is one of the greatest ways to exhibit hospitality. But what happens when we actually offer hospitality over fear to strangers? Two things are going to happen. First, and this may be the greatest motivation of all, hospitality serves Jesus, if you're on your notes. Now, I know that sounds so cliche. Hospitality serves Jesus. I'm talking about literally you're serving Jesus. Jesus says it this way. Then the king will say to those on his right, this is judgment day. Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger? and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. We serve Jesus when we practice hospitality. Second, I really believe this, is it opens room for joy. Do you remember the time you received Christ's hospitality in your life? You were buzzing. You couldn't wait to share about Jesus with others. So what happens? What happens to us? I think fear takes over. And we lose the capacity to share the joy we experienced with Christ with others. But here's all I want to say. When we practice hospitality, we get to experience the thrill of feeling God's power conquer our fears and our self-centeredness. Fear will always turn us inward. 
Hospitality always turns us outward. And one of the greatest joys that we can have as Jesus followers is sharing the hope we have of being welcomed into his kingdom now and forevermore. That's joy. One of the most important writers in my personal life was a guy named Henry Nouwen. And he wrote this decades ago, but I think it's more true now than ever before. I'll have it on the screen. You can follow Our society seems to be increasingly full of fearful, defensive, aggressive people, anxiously clinging to their property and inclined to look at their surrounding world with suspicion, always expecting an enemy to suddenly appear, intrude, and do harm. But still, that is our vocation or calling, to convert the enemy into a guest and to create the free and fearless space where brotherhood and sisterhood can be formed and fully experienced. Mic drop. (laughs) Yes, please. A place that is free of fear. A place that is a place of welcome and belonging and inclusion. So how about it? You up for this? If you're following on your notes, where can I extend hospitality over fear this week? Where? I promise you right now. If you ask him, he will reveal a person to you, a place to you. And if you would just keep your eyes open there, he'll give you the opportunity to reach out to a stranger, to welcome them in, to greet them, to make them feel loved and seen and known. So just like last week, one application leaving this room, I'm going to make this as clear as possible. Who is one person this week God is putting in your mind that you can extend hospitality too. We can do this. We can do this and experience the joy of following in the path of Jesus. Let's pray. Oh Lord, as we prepare ourselves now to take communion, I pray it's not just some ritual we go through, but it's a reminder of the greatest act of hospitality ever that though we were once strangers and far away you went to a cross for us your body was broken your blood was spilled so that we could come near no longer strangers no longer foreigners but citizens with every right in your kingdom take this today as we take this today as your people let's just not remember that part the good news for us but that you still want us to share that good news with others so as we contemplate and pray and take this together bring those people to mind you want us to extend our hand to to welcome to show hospitality to help us to have the courage to choose that over fear we pray this in jesus name Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church or to get connected, please visit cherryhillsfamily.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks for joining us.